Welcome to the very first episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. I'm your host, James Herrick, and thank you for joining us today, whether you're listening on Spotify, Anchor, or watching on YouTube. Thank you very much for joining us. And today for the first episode, my plan is we're going to break down UFC 253. I'm not going to break down all the fights. I'm just going to sparingly break down some of my favorite fights of the night. Obviously, the main the main event, co-main fight of the night. Some of the things I wanted to touch on that happened. And uh, then after that, I've got some other topics, some rumors, that uh, some situations that I want to talk about and break down a little bit. Then in the end, I'm going to talk about the, the, the future of this podcast and what the plans are for the future. All right. So, there's no other way to start this podcast off than to talk about Israel Adesanya, the last style bender, okay? This was an amazing performance. Absolutely amazing. There's no other way to describe this performance other than amazing. If you saw that fight and you don't think it was amazing, an amazing performance, you probably don't know what you're talking about, right? So... If you didn't watch, what Izzy did is he stayed on the outside, right? As many people, that kind of plays right into his style. He stays on the outside. He beats up that leg, leg, lead leg of Costa. He beats it up, okay? Every time he lands a lead, lead leg kick, it's whack, whack. You can hear it snap. And uh, in the broadcasting booth, Felder, Paul Felder and John Anik, ooh, ah, after each one, right? These these leg kicks were obviously taking a damage, obviously making ma- taking a major toll on Costa, right? And then eventually, I don't remember if it was late first round or early second round, he lands that head kick, bounces his fucking shin off his dome, okay? And then from there, you could kind of see where this fight was going. It was it was all Izzy from the opening bell to the finish through the. It was all Izzy all night, okay? Not even at the finish. I shouldn't say from start to end. It was Izzy from opening bell to when the cameras cut at the end. It was all Izzy. It was Izzy's show. It was Izzy's show. That's why he's a superstar, baby. That's why the UFC was breaking records. He was breaking records last night. And then, um, yeah. So, I feel a lot of people unfairly criticize Costa for the style that he went into in this fight. He stayed on the outside. Similar. I, I shouldn't say... Similar to what Romero did, but with more, a little bit more forward pressure. He didn't throw a lot of hands, threw a lot of kicks. He's kicking his heel a lot. Okay. Izzy claimed those kicks didn't affect him. I'm going to have to take his word on that because he didn't look to be too affected by the kicks of Costa. But he was staying, he was on the outside that was allowing Izzy to beat up his league leg. He didn't get into the pocket and get into heavy exchanges. He wasn't taking those big rips to the body like we traditionally see Costa do. And that's what led Costa to win all his other fights, so I can't help but be a little, you know, I guess you can have a little criticism, but at the same time, when you go in there and throw in the pocket with Izzy, that's not a great idea either, I mean, at least you have a chance, I guess, you have a chance to beat Izzy if you go in there and throw in the pocket, but look at what Izzy did to Whitaker, look what he did to Costa when they get in the pocket, right, Whitaker was in the pocket and Izzy was chucking him, chucking him all night with the with the counter lefts, right? And he looked great against Whitaker, and then 
Costa comes in today, and they get into one big, big exchange where is he's able to counter. He plants those feet. He bends. He bends the back backwards, and he stays in position to throw back. Right. He counter. He he evades the first, and then he throws one or two of his own. Right. He did that today. He didn't even catch Costa cleanly. And Costa went down, and then when he hit the ground, he swarmed him. And fights over. Fights over. Whitaker. He hit Whitaker. He pretty much finished Whitaker twice. That's what he claimed, and I agree. At the end of the first round, that fight's over of the Whitaker fight. You know, he bends back, lands that lands that check left, and it would just, that fight would have been over in the first round, and time runs out, and he finishes it in the second in that Whitaker fight. So we've seen three people come into the pocket and exchange and throw with Izzy, and I'll and they're not three people. Three, there's three great um, instances of where someone comes in the pocket and throws. Whitaker got dropped twice doing it, and Costa got dropped once doing it. So I don't know how if you're if you're Costa, what do you do? Do you come in there and brawl and, and deal with that counter like he like he did deal with when he did brawl, or do you stay on the outside and try and pick him apart? The problem is you can't do the first. I mean, you can't uh, you can't stay outside. You can't do the second. You can't stay outside and try and uh, and try and pick him apart. That's impossible. It's impossible for anyone to stay on the outside of Izzy and pick him apart because he's too technically good, right? Not only is he technically good, he's that technically good, and he's got the reach to go with it, right? And and a lot of times people make too much of reach, and they. Think of it as a bigger deal than it really is, right? But because a lot of people can't use reach effectively. But Izzy knows how to use reach, right? He knows he's staying right in range. Like, look at the the leg reach specifically of Izzy. The leg reach is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He knows he can stay right in that range, right? He was right in that range all night on Costa. where Where you can't throw a punch, but he can kick you in the leg, right? And that's what he did, you know? He stayed at that range, he knew the range, and he bop, 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 kicks in the leg, right? And those kicks to the leg took a toll. Those took a toll on Costa. Go look at Costa's leg after the fight. It, he's, it might be out for a while. I mean, I don't want to say that. I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine he's going to have too quick of a turnaround after those leg kicks, right? So I feel like... I feel like there's no there's no blueprint of how to beat Izzy on the feet. Really? There isn't. Because Costa wasn't really cutting off the cage and using that footwork. But at the same time, he's... You have to trap... You probably have to trap Izzy in a corner. Which takes great footwork. But Izzy has good enough footwork to get out of there, right? And to pressure, he can pressure enough to where he's not cornered, right? And what do you want to do, brawl with him? Like I said, you get your head clean off, right? So I feel like there's, if you want to be Izzy, you have to be a wrestler or a big jiu-jitsu guy. But at the same time, as I say that, go back and look at some of his older fights, you know? Kevin, Kelvin Gastelum. Derek Brunson come to mind. Those are two amazing wrestlers. Amazing wrestlers that Izzy has fought. And they had nothing for him. They had, well, 
I shouldn't say nothing. Derek Brunson hit nothing for him as he made him look like a fool. But Kelvin gave him a good fight. But he didn't he didn't uh, do enough. Right. He didn't do enough. He wasn't good enough to get Izzy out of there. And since then, Izzy's way better since that Kelvin fight. Anyways. So, I feel like when you're looking at striking matchups in this division, in this middleweight division, who is going to take him out? Because, I mean, at this point, you've got... Uh, the best shot is probably, in terms of pure striking, the only one who probably has a chance is Till, in terms of technicality. But even then, that reach is what sets Izzy apart. I still think he beats Till. In terms of striking-wise, who are you going to throw at him? Whitaker is probably the next best. Whitaker had more success than Costa in terms of striking and game plan. So I feel like Whitaker and Till are still the two toughest matchups, unless Costa builds his way back up and comes in like a madman. If Costa comes at it again, he has to come at like a come at it like a madman. But right now, I see I see Izzy dominating this division for a long while, and I feel like most people agree with me on that. I feel like I'm not uh, I'm not making some bold you know crazy statement here. But uh, yeah, I, I'm you know this is Izzy's division. This is Izzy's division, and uh, he uh, I. He's he looks up to Anderson Silva, so I think he's gonna defend like Anderson Silva did, and it's as simple as that. And then uh, post fight, is he post fight? Let's talk about that, cause that's big news. Is he post fight is almost as big a news as is he in fight, right? Everyone loves is he post fight. Well, I shouldn't say everybody loves, cause he faced some fair criticism after last night. No, I shouldn't say fair. He faced some criticism, not fair criticism, criticism. What he did to Costa after he finished Costa was one of the craziest post-fight celebrations I've ever seen. And I loved every second of it, right? Let's start off off the rip. Off the rip, he finishes Costa, right? Ref, ref ends it. Ref waves it. What's he do to Costa? He raw dogs him. He raw dogged Paulo Costa, right? He raw dogged him. It's a simple, Darren Till would be proud. He took a, he ripped the page out of Darren Till's book and played it on Costa. And it was brilliant. Brilliant. And I, I it's it's legendary. Cause who has the guts, has the balls to go in there like that and raw dog Paulo Costa? I mean, come on, come on. He and if you don't know him, see some people may be confused right now because they not might not have seen it because it was subtle. Because I saw what I saw, and then I was like, eh, did he just really do that? And then I went on Twitter, and I was like, oh, he did that. He did that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to an Izzy. Go to an Izzy Twitter post and look at the top comments. And you'll see. You'll see. You'll know what I'm talking about. Because you'll go, oh, shit, he did that. He did that. Right? Izzy that man. And then after that, he runs around the octagon. He looks at he looks at Izzy's head coach, the little dude with the weird little glasses, and he says, he looks him down in the face and says, I'll oh, come on you, boy. I don't know what the fuck that means, but it's funny as shit. It's funny as shit. You can't tell me it's not funny. That's funny as hell. And then he fucking breakdances. He does some fucking spinny little breakdance shit. Come on, man. Come on. That's awesome. Love Izzy for that. Love Izzy. That's, that's the type of shit. People may not like that. People may say it's bad sportsmanship. But, um, what... 
See, MMA is not as mainstream of a sport as other sports, right? So when you see shit like that, what's it do? It goes viral, right? I know people. A lot of my friends are a big MMA fan, right? What Izzy did after that fight, I had people. They, People reached out to me to talk to me about what Izzy did after that fight. They didn't watch the fight. I know people that didn't watch the fight and saw what Izzy did after the fight. They said, wow, this guy's cool, right? So by doing things like this, it's the same thing that Covington did after his fight, whether you like Colby Covington or not. There's people that saw what happened after that fight that have never seen MMA, MMA before, and they were intrigued. They were like, oh, what's, you know? And so in those two instances, this sport is gaining popularity when things like that go viral. The old saying that all publicity is good publicity or no publicity is bad publicity, ooh, whichever way, whichever way it goes, it's not, it's not necessarily true, but in a sense, we're hitting over, you know, people like what they're seeing, okay? People love what they're seeing post-fight in MMA. That's getting people intrigued. If you're interested in what happens post-fight, start getting into that, and then that brings people interested to what happens in the fight. If people care what happened in the fight and post-fight, now all of a sudden we've got more viewers, more more. More people watching the sport, more eyes on the sport, right? And this results in so much of a build. And as MMA fans, we all want to see the sport grow. And things like that are truly what make the sport grow. Great performances followed by great post-fight performances like that make the sport grow whether you like it or not, right? It was brilliant. And um, we have Izzy to thank for helping us build the sport up a little bit, right? And um, let's talk about a little bit about what is next for Izzy, okay? What's next for Izzy? It's He calls out Cannoneer by name, and then in a post-fight press conference, he said if Whitaker wins, he'll take out he'll take Whitaker out again, right? And I feel like that's um, that is that's that's the fight that happens next. It's the winner of Cannoneer versus Till. If Cannoneer wins, it's one thousand percent Cannoneer. Okay, it's definitely Kenanier. It's Izzy and Kenanier next. If Robert Whitaker wins, we're getting into a little bit of a more a more interesting discussion. Because you have to think about this. Izzy probably wants some fresh blood, but you have to respect what Whitaker did against Till and then Kenanier. Come on. Come on. That'll get you a title shot. But I'd say that's closer to eighty probably an eighty percent eighty percent chance that Whitaker with 80-85% chance Whitaker gets the title shot if he wins. The dark the dark horse to take that spot would be Jack Hermanson. If Jack Hermanson Jack Hermanson's fighting Till in December, if Jack Hermanson can go out there and beat Darren Till and beat Darren Till handedly. He can't just go out there and beat him. He has to beat him handedly. He has to go out there and finish Till in the first or second round, get him out of there. If if Jack Hermanson can go do that, then he would be giving Whitaker a shot. He'd giving a, he'd be giving him a run for his money at who who fights for the title next. Okay. But with that being said, it's likely gonna be Cannoneer or Whitaker with Hermanson being a big, 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 big underdog for that situation. And I don't think he could get that title shot. But um I, I think he could, but I think it's extremely unlikely. And for Costa, Costa is um in a tough spot here because he, I don't know when he'll be able to return to the octagon again. I don't want to speculate, but I imagine that he's not going to be facing a quick turnaround based off what happened last night. 
So looking at the rankings, you know, we, we know we have the Costa, or excuse me, you know, we know we have the Whitaker and Cannoneer fight, and you might as well feed Costa to the loser, right? That's probably the best course of action. Or the loser, or the, and then, you know, you got the Hermanson and Toe fight, but likely Whitaker and Cannoneer. Give Costa the loser, kind of get these guys back in the title picture because they're all so extremely talented guys that are facing each other. So, uh, yeah. That's the way I would go with that. That's probably the most likely course of action and probably the best course of action. Okay. Now, at the co-main event, at the co-main event, we got Jan Blachowicz is now the new UFC light heavyweight champion. Congrats to Jan. And this truly was an amazing performance. This was great. Okay. He comes in right off the bat. He lands two big Big kicks to the kicks to the ribs of uh, Dom Dom Dominic Reyes, and you could tell those those hurt. Dom chicken faced them, but those hurt, right? And the more you watch this podcast, the more you'll come to learn that I love myself some kicks, right? Kicks to the leg, kicks to the body, kicks to the head. I love them; they're effective. And those kicks look great from Jan, right? And then eventually, Jan gets him. Jan get Jan lands that. I think he landed a right, right down the pipe. Broke, broke Dom's nose from there. It was the beginning of the end. He jumps on it and finishes the fight to become the new UFC light heavyweight champion. And um, it was crazy looking at Dom after that fight because Dom looks as if he had just fought Tony Ferguson. That is how. That is how. Um, that is how beat up his face was. His nose was broken. He was bleeding. He looked like he just saw that Tony Ferguson Yamblow, which looked great, great. I tell you. And then, um, I can't help but feel terrible for Reyes because Reyes went in there and had that close, that razor thin, razor thin decision versus John, and he lost that decision, which. Which that sucks, all right? It sucks to lose decisions, especially close ones like that. Many people thought he won. If you think he won, if you think he lost, doesn't make a difference. I think uh, you can't help but want to see Dom do good after that that close, that closeness of, of seeing UFC gold. You can't help but want to see Dom with that gold. But, um, you know, Dom will be back, and... Um, I feel like Dom was probably on a little bit of a high when you when you get that close to beating the best light heavyweight of all time, possibly the best UFC fighter of all time. I don't believe he's the best. I still give that to GSP. But when you come that close to beating the best UFC fighter of all time, I mean, that's greatness. That's... I mean that's you can't help but feel bad for him and I'm sure he was on I'm sure he was on a big high after that fight and I feel like this is a coming come back down to earth right I'm sure he'll be fighting for the title again you know I don't think this is you know yeah, Dom's still young so I he I'm sure he'll have more shots at the title and I think he will eventually be a UFC champion and I think that's uh seems pretty clear and let's talk about one more thing about this whole Jan versus Dom Jan Blahovich wins that fight and calls out John Jones. Come on, that's fucking silly. 
That's fucking silly, Jan. You're not going to be able to get that John Jones fight. If John Jones wanted that fight, if John Jones truly wanted that fight, he would have. You would have. You would have. You would have fought him probably tonight or last night, right? You would have fought John Jones for the title if John wanted to fight you. You wouldn't have had to go get the title and then say, hey, come back in and down and get the title again. You know, it's just silly. John doesn't want that fight. There's no point in uh, in going after that fight because you're just l- <laughs> just doesn't make sense to me. You're going out of guys not in the division, vacated the title. And from John's perspective, what does fighting for that light heavyweight belt do? What does beating Jan do for his legacy, right? You can make an argument that beating Dom improves his legacy because by beating Dom, he's proving that he won. He's proving that he's the better fighter out of the two. Right now, there will always be questions of, did John win? Did Dom win? Right? By beating Dom, you end those. But what ha- what do you do by beating Jan? You don't really do much for your legacy, right? If you At least by fighting him right now, you don't do much for your legacy. By moving up to heavyweight and fighting Steep, the winner of Stipe and Nganu, because those two are going to fight. That's inevitable, right? By taking on the winner, whether he, whether he beats Miocic, or when actually, whether he fights Miocic and Nganu, and whether he wins... That will do so much more for his legacy if he wins those fights. He has a chance to become the undisputed GOAT in everybody's mind. Right now, there's right now there's debate and controversy, right? But if he can go up to heavyweight and beat Stipe, beat Nganu, beat Curtis Blades, beat some more guys, beat Rosenstruck, Overeem. Uh, Overeem might be out by the time he gets a title shot. That'll be interesting to see if Overeem can build up to a title shot because things are getting backed up in the heavyweight division. But if he can go in there and take out some heavyweights, some names, I mean, that would really cement himself as a GOAT, right? Beating Jan, that's just another, it's just another, it's just another late heavyweight that we expect Jan to beat if he beats him, right? So I don't think there's much for John to do at light heavyweight unless unless John can go on a run. If John can go on a run and win three, win four, then then coming John coming back down would make sense. Right? But as in the situation we're in right now, it doesn't make any sense for John to come back down to light heavyweight. Just go up to heavyweight. If Dom won, we'd be having a little bit of a different discussion. But right now, go take out. And go take out the heavyweight champ, whoever it is, whenever you get your shot. And by saying this, I was a big, um, I wanted Dom and John to fight before John went up. I wanted John to come take out Dom, end any questions, and then go up to heavyweight. But right now with Dion as the champ, it just doesn't make sense to do that. Okay? So, um, let's move on to the fight of the night. Fight of the night was... Brandon Roy Vall versus Kai Kara France. And I'll tell you what, that fight was great. That fight was great. We come off the rip. Kai Kara France comes in, gets two knockdowns on Brandon, Brandon Roy Vall. Brandon Roy Vall returns with a spinning elbow to get his own knockdown. Come on. Come on. They tell me you didn't love that. I love that. That right there is why we love the flyweight, flyweight division, right? Those flyweight fights are so entertaining. Whether you like, they're they're all a lot of these guys are smaller named guys, right? Not everyone knows these guys, you know. They don't have the big, 
name names, but the fights are great. The fights are amazing. We all love 135. Why can't we all love 125? You know, and uh, and uh, excuse me, Brandon Royval when he finishes when he finishes uh, Kaikar France with that type of guillotine that was textbook guillotine and i mean that was great i'm excited to see what happens in this flyweight division i think as we get deep as we fight more fights in this flyweight division the more the flyweight flyweight division becomes a mainstay in the ufc the more we fight the less people talk about getting rid of it the more we fight the more people love it so i'm a big supporter in the flyweight division as long as they can keep producing fights like that right so Enough to say about that. Moving on. Another fight I want to talk about is Hakeem Dawadu's fight. Hakeem Dawadu. Hakeem looked great here. And it seems weird to say that he looked great. And I think he has a bright, bright future. Because it was such a... I don't want to say such a controversial finish. But a lot of people thought he lost that fight. A lot of people gave him only round three. Most people said he lost round one. Round two is a toss-up round. And whether you think he won or lost, that doesn't take away from the fact that he looked great, right? The rips to the the rips to the body that he was taking, right? Amazing, amazing. That's textbook, textbook. Look at Stepe. Look at what Stepe did in DC with those, right? Those are effective, and he's good at it. He he caught a couple shots right on that liver, okay, and that that was great. And uh, I think this guy has a chance to be a big, big-time fan favorite because he chucks leather in there, right? He's he's all striking, big-time, big-time entertainer, okay? This guy's got fan favorite potential. Anytime that a fighter points at the ground, okay, points at the ground during a fight and says, fight me, fight me, come here and fight, right? That guy's going to win over fans, okay? That's just how it works. I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. I just go by them, right? When someone does that, they've got a chance to be great. And that's all I have to say about that is Akeem Dawadu's got great potential. I love I love these matchups in the in the bottom end of the in the flyweight division, the Bottom weight of the rankings for him. These three stand out big for me of what I want to see next from Dawadu. You've got Shane Burgos. That's who he called out, and I second that. That'd be such a fun fight. Shane Burgos versus Hakeem Dawadu. Are you kidding me? Those guys are going to get in there. They're going to throw. They're not going to back down, and it's going to be fun shit for us to watch. If he can't get that fight, you've got Barbosa running around. Edson Barbosa, I don't like that fight as much as the Shane Burgos fight, but... I'm still down. I'm still down. You know, Bar- Barbosa's got those great kicks. Everyone knows that. That's stating the obvious. Okay? That'd be a fun matchup to watch. That'd be another great one. And then the dark horse here is Bryce Mitchell at 15. Are you kidding me? Now, I might have lost some of you on that because Bryce Mitchell's not a purebred striker like Burgos and Barbosa. But I like the idea of giving Bryce Mitchell and Hakeem Dawadu. They're both such, they have, both have great potential in the sport of MMA and to get at the top of this flyweight division. So by by giving them someone that contrasts styles, we can see how, how well they can adapt to someone with that opposite style. 
I know Bryce Mitchell took out Charles Arosa, who's a good, really good striker, but he's not he's not Hakeem Dawood's level. All right. So by Bryce Mitchell going in there and proving something against Hakeem Dawood, I mean that move him up greatly in the well, I shouldn't say move him up greatly in the rankings, but it it proves something in the minds of the fans and the company, right? And on the flip side, if if Dawood can go in there and take out Bryce Mitchell, deny the deny those takedowns. You know, if he shows good grappling, I mean, if you can show good grappling versus Bryce Mitchell, then you've got a place in this division, right? You have a place in this division, and that's undisputed. So, I think that would be another fun fight. If I had to rank those three, I'd say I want to see Burgos first, then Bryce Mitchell second, and then Edson Barbosa third. That's just my opinion. If Bryce Mitchell can't get that fight, then let's give Bryce Mitchell Ryan Hall. I think that would be crazy from a, a grappling perspective. I know a lot of people want to see Bryce Mitchell move up in the rank or uh, Ryan Hall move up in the rankings, but let's just take a sacrifice for some for our enjoyment. That's what that would be. Okay, moving on. Ludwig Klein. Ludwig Klein. Now, what I want to say about Ludwig Klein is I have to thank Ludwig. I do. Ludwig, however you say his name, Klein. He provided, the, he made history here on the Head Kick KO podcast. You may be thinking, how the fuck did this guy make history already? It's on the first episode. He made history because that was the first Head Kick KO in the history of the Head Kick KO podcast. You know, Klein hit him with a big head kick, right? wobbles him, then hits him with the bop, bop, bop. He hits him with that Jorge Masvidal three-piece. He didn't have a soda at the end. It was just a three-piece, right? So he hits that, and then um, I believe it was a jab hook uppercut and puts the fight out. He puts it out, clear as day, and uh, he looked great. He needs to get the weight under control. He missed weight by a decent margin. We got to get that figured out for Ludwig, but he also has great potential here to move forward, take out some really impressive fighters. And I'm excited for the future of him because he looked fast, he looked strong, he looked quick, he looked powerful. Okay, speaking of powerful, the next thing I want to talk about is William Knight. Speaking of, that boy is a definition of power. Okay, William Knight. Now, um, Kamor is also a great fighter who he was taking on, but there's just something about William Knight. I think it was a scrappiness, you know, he didn't, a lot of the things he did wasn't textbook. That's not what you'd learn. If you went and practiced grappling anywhere, you wouldn't learn the things that William Knight was doing. What he was doing was using his strength, using will, using heart to always end and finish in the dominant position. Right. And this is an exciting guy. He's only, this is only his, this is his UFC debut, debut. And he had one fight on the Contender Series as well. But you can't help but be excited for this guy's future. Pure power. You know, those leg kicks. He was landing leg kicks, right? And he didn't land that many. He landed a handful. Probably maybe a little bit more than a handful. But every time that he landed one, you'd hear it. When you hear a, when you hear a leg kick snap like William Knights did, you know it's a good leg kick, right? Kamor was poker-facing them, but... You know, those those were effective, right? 
So he almost finished it at the end of the second round with that uh, Kimura. And that was also impressive because the way he had that man's arm. And so much respect for Kimura for not tapping. You could see his hand. His hand was floating like this to uh, think about tapping. But if that if that goes on five more seconds, he's tapping. And I think uh, William Knight answered a lot of questions by being able to go 15 minutes. He went full He went to full 15 minutes, got the decision. And a lot of people look at big guys like that, and they think that they can't go the full 15. They worry about conditioning. They worry about pace. William Knight proved that he can go 15, and he looks fine. And that was a high-output fight, too. You know, some of these grappling exchanges were very are very uh, fatiguing and tiresome. And he, at the end of it, he was he was he was obviously fatigued. He just fought 15 minutes, but he looked he could go 10 more, which is at this point in his career for him to have that already is great. So he already broke that stigma of big guy who can't go to a decision. He already broke that, which is so incredibly great for him. And I'm excited to see what he does in the future here. Okay. And let's move on to some other topics. Okay. Let's start with Conor McGregor. Now, I don't know what Conor is doing. I really don't. I couldn't tell you what Conor's doing. It's He's confusing the fuck out of me. I know that for sure. He's confusing me. That's what he's doing. He uh, went on a Twitter storm a couple days ago. Showing proof that he wanted to fight Diego Sanchez. Why the fuck would you do that? Why would you want to prove to people that you wanted an easy fight to fight Diego Sanchez? Why? Why? It doesn't make sense, Connor. Why would you want to fight Diego Sanchez in the first place? He claimed it was because he was a legend. It was because he um he's a pioneer in the sport. All these things that don't make sense. That doesn't mean just because someone's a legend and a pioneer, that doesn't mean you have to fight them. Right? You can respect them. That doesn't mean you have to fight them. I know that's kind of the reason he wanted to fight Cowboy. But Cowboy was a top 10 guy at that point. So it made a little bit of sense. But he wanted to fight Diego before he fought Justin. No. You're not going to get that fight. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Okay. And now, Connor's in a situation where we don't really know what is what he's doing now. Right? It's... I just spilled some water on myself. That's dope. But we don't really know what Connor is doing, what he can do. Because he seems pretty locked. If you're looking at the top of the lightweight division, the two big names that stand out to people are Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson. Okay. Those are the guys a lot of people are calling for Connor to fight. But I want those two matched up. You're telling me you don't want to see Dustin and Tony? That's a great fight. That's a once-in-a-lifetime fight. And if Tony wins, he's right back in position to fight Khabib. And we can all get that Khabib and Tony fight that we all want. If you're telling me you don't want Khabib versus Tony, you're a fool. Okay? So we got to match up Tony and Dustin. I don't care how much you got to pay Dustin. I know that was the issue. It was going to be matched up. It was going to be on UFC 254. Those two were going to fight. But we couldn't get the price tag right for Dustin. Pay Dustin what Dustin needs. Tony said the same thing. Okay. By beating Dustin, Tony has a shot at Khabib again. So I don't think McGregor can fight either of those guys. 
looking at the lightweight division, we've got Dan Hooker and Charles Oliveira, Oliveira are above and below him. And then Paul Felder. I don't like either of those fights, the Hooker or Oliveira. I think he finishes Dan Hooker. Charles Oliveira, on the other hand, I think would give Connor a challenge as he's a great grappler. I mean, he submitted Kevin Lee. When you submit Kevin Lee, you submit yourself as a great, you submit your legacy as a great grappler. That's just how it goes. And But Paul Felder kind of sticks out as a potential option. Nobody has talked about that. But once he beat Cowboy in January, he said, Connor said, any of these little fools can get it. Even that mouthy fool at the desk. Terrible kind of impersonation. But he did call out Paul indirectly. Well, well directly, but kind of like a, ah, he can get it too. Paul Felder can get it. That's a fight I'd love to see more than Hooker and Oliveira. Give him Paul Felder. I guess Hooker's fine too. But I don't like to settle for fine. Eh, fine. When you're talking about who's fighting Conor McGregor, you can't really be like, eh, fine, give him to him. You know, I think that Paul Felder fight could be fun. But if he wins that, people are just going to... Slate Felder is washed up. So that might, might, might not be as productive either. In terms of... You know, in terms of getting McGregor back to that title pitcher. But, on the other hand, you know, he doesn't really have much left. Unless you want him to fight the Nate Diaz trilogy. I mean, that fight is, I think Conor wins that fight. I think most people would agree with me on that. As Conor's in his prime, Nate seems to be aging and on the decline. And I hate saying that because I love Nate. But from what Masvidal did to him, you know... I think that'd be a rough fight for Nate, which I hate saying because I love I love Nate, right? I love Nate. So I don't want to get to this position where I'm trashing on Nate here because I do love Nate. And but like I said, I just don't see what's next for McGregor. I think he has, I think he should wait. I think Connor needs to wait a little bit and get some clarity. Let's get Dustin and Khabib. You know, let's get that figured out before we uh, let's figure out if GSP is coming back to fight Khabib. Let's get all these things figured out. Before we determine who Connor's fighting next. So let's just put Connor on the back burner. There's no reason to make a silly fight, schedule a silly fight just to get Connor active. It's not worth it. But um, let's talk a little bit about some more matchmaking. Um, we've got Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. Dana was asked at the press conference last night, and Dana said he was interested in that fight, and that's the fight to make, and I think everyone agrees. When you watch that Colby Covington fight, I mean, Chael Sonnen says this all the time. He says, you know, Colby Covington's the second-best guy in the world to Kamara Usman. They're one and two. So, Colby needs to get back to a title shot. I don't think immediately. I, he beat Tyron well, but I think uh, you might as well keep him active before he gets that Usman shot. So, give Colby to Masvidal. And have a fun fight, right? That's going to be a fun fight. The build-up is going to be insane. If you think the build-up to Masvidal and Diaz was big, this could be bigger. This is friends turn rivals. This is what everyone loves. This is Chuck and Tito were friends turn rivals. Training partners turn rivals. I mean, this is just written as a as an amazing, amazing rivalry here. And let's not, you know, respect the Covington for what he's done in terms of creating rivals for himself. Usman, Masvidal, no matter where Covington goes, he's a draw, right? But let's get him that Masvidal fight, right? And 
that's going to be a great fight, and I think everybody wants that. And Nate Diaz, unfortunately, looks like he's lost out here because Nate was angling for the cover. He was angling for that Masvidal rematch, which I think a lot of people lost interest in. I think as the days go by, people lose interest in that fight. The best time to schedule that fight would have been immediately after the would have been immediately after the first fight because people still wanted to see it. But as we let that sink in, you know, Masvidal won the first three rounds, got at least one 10-8, maybe two 10-8s. Hell, give him three 10-8s, you know. Masvidal looked in control for every second of that fight. And I think when someone's in control that handedly, it's hard to argue for a rematch, right? Nate Diaz claims that he would have won. Because he was getting tired. Maybe he was. Maybe Nate's right. But I just don't think that's... you. I just don't think that's a fight right now. Nate's in the same position as Connor, where you don't have to fight right now. You know, we can wait three months, six months, see where things go. If Masvidal loses to Covington, now we're talking. Now we're looking at great options for that fight to happen again. Okay? Because that fight's always there. This Covington and Masvidal fight is not always there, right? Covington could be fighting for a championship, you know? Masvidal could be fighting for a championship. When these two guys are unbooked, let's get them together, right? We got active guys fighting who pair them together. It's the best course of action. I think that's I just that's got to be the only way you can go is this Covington and Masvidal fight. I don't know how I should I don't know how else I can say it other than this fight needs to happen. And I think I don't have much explaining to do because I think most of you agree with me. Okay. And let's also touch on Hazmat Chimaev. Hazmat Chimaev um, obviously has been blowing up, blowing up in the UFC. Okay. Now Hazmat is in a position where Hazmat was supposed to fight Damian Maya. In December. I don't think that fight is happening. And the reason I don't think that fight is happening is because there were rumors that it was going to be Wonder Boy. Last night, rumors broke that Wonder Boy was taking that fight instead. Wonder Boy Steven Thompson was taking that fight in December. Ariel came out and said that was false. Ariel came out and said this was false. That um, Wonder Boy did not want that because Wonder Boy did not want that fight. And Dana later said it wasn't even offered to Wonder Boy. Wonderboy wants Leanne Edwards, and I think that's a fight that should be made because Leanne needs to get back in there. He's been out for a year. Let's get him in there against Wonderboy. Now, these two guys are moving themselves closer to the top. I think that's the best course of action for Leanne and Stephen Edwards, or excuse me, Stephen Thompson both, right? But the bigger story in that is I think that, that Hasmat and Damian Maya fight is not going to happen now because we're already talking about replacements. You know, Dana said he didn't know who Hasmat was going to fight. So now that we've got this, I don't think that fight's going to happen, and it's pretty clear that he's not fighting Maya. If you're Damian Maya, Maya said he's going to retire. Why would you want your last fight to be Hazmat Maya before you retire? That's silly. Let's be honest. That's silly. Take on anyone else. Any, well, not anyone. You know, I think Tyron Woodley would be a good option for that. And later, let Tyron recover. I think that'd be a good spot for both them. I know the first fight was a sleeper. Let them try and reconcile that. Both these guys are a little bit older. You know, Maya rides off in the sunset, and in the fight he has a possibility to win, and Tyron has a possibility to get get back on the horse and, you know, start winning some rounds, starts winning, winning some fights. So I think Maya and Woodley it would be a good fight if Maya's not going to take that Hazmat fight. 
But then that leaves us with who is Hazmat Chimaev going to fight? Everyone wants to see him fight again. Dana said he's going to be a main event in Las Vegas in December. So with that information, there's not much left in the welterweight division for him. I want to see him fight in the welterweight division. I'm going to be honest with you. The welterweight division is so exciting. I want to see Hazmat Chimaev inserted in that. So I want to see Hazmat in a top 15 welterweight slot. And I think the best option for that is Michael Chiesa. Michael Chiesa is hasn't is not booked right now. Michael Chiesa hasn't fought in a minute since he did he beat Rafael Dos Anjos? I don't remember. I know that was his last fight, and I know it was a close fight. Um, kind of a sleeper, to be honest, if I remember correctly. Michael Chiesa. Um, but I think this would be a great fight stylistically. I mean, two great grapplers. Yeah, he beat Chiesa. Decision in the co-main. In Jan- yeah, in January. So it's been a minute for Chiesa. So he needs to get back out there. Chiesa needs to fight again. I saw on his Instagram he was going to Mexico. So once he gets done with his little vacation in Mexico, you need to fight Hazmat Chimaev. Chiesa. In December. That gives you... It's We're in late September. So you got two months to train for Hazmat. That'd be a great fight. If you're telling me you don't want to see that, you're... I know people want to see Hazmat higher in the rankings, but I think eight's a good spot. For an introductory fight to the rankings, you're skipping the top 15 to get all the way to the top eight. That's, that's you got to be happy with that. And I think from a stylistic standpoint, is obviously an amazing grappler, a jiu-jitsu guy. I think this would be a great stylistic matchup that you, you have to... Um, you have to be excited for if it hits the ground. There's a chance it doesn't hit the ground after what Hazmat did to GM3, Gerald Mershart. KO'd him in 17 seconds. 17 seconds, come on now. 17 seconds. So that fight is exciting, and that's the fight I think that needs to be made. If Kiesa, or I'm excuse me, if Kiesa, yeah, well, if Kiesa declines that fight, then we're getting into some more territory that is not as nice right i think if kiesa if kiesa doesn't take that fight then we're looking at magni neil magni vicente luki and geoff neil right any of those fights eh, those guys are 10 11 12 i don't really love any of those fights right but then if you go to middleweight if he wants to, he wants. If he wants to bounce between middleweight and welterweight, I'd rather him stay at welterweight and go to middle seldomly, right? But if he wants to go back and forth, and Dana's okay with that, I think Chris Weidman at nine would be a great introduction, or Kelvin Gastelum at eight. I think Kelvin Gastelum's a little bit too deep of water to start because Kelvin Gastelum's a great fighter. But I think uh, I think Weidman at nine would be the right choice if he goes. Middleweight, and there's no way Weidman declines that. Weidman's a dog. He fought Omar Akhmedov, so who was also looking like a good up and comer. So I think that's the fight if he goes 185. So 170, I've got Kiesa. 185, my personal opinion, I've got Chris Weidman. I think those are both be two fun fights. That um, two good grapplers with um, Hasman having the ability to potentially end it in a knockout, right? Once you start getting down to that 10 to 15 range in both weight classes, you know, in uh, in middle, or excuse me, in uh, welterweight, you've got Diaz, Pettis, and Lawler. So those guys probably aren't even close to in the running to fight Hazmat. That'd be silly. That wouldn't make sense matchup for a matchup. 
but in ten from ten to fifteen in the middleweight, you've got Hall, Shabazian, Tavares, Akhmedov, Vittorian, Heinzich. So all these guys, it's not none of those names just pop off the page to me for a fun fight, right? With Hasma. That's why I said Kiesa and Weidman, right? So let's move on. I think we got that covered. Um, some weight cutting penalties was a big topic last night, which is something that hasn't been discussed in a while, I feel like. Adesanya was upset because he had a, a teammate that was going against someone who missed weight, and Dawadu also had to go against someone who missed weight. So, um, is he called for 90%? A 90% pay cut if you miss weight. He said this would influence guys to not miss weight, which I think he's right that guys probably wouldn't be missing weight as much. But I can't get behind that because a lot of these guys on the undercard, they don't get paid a lot. They're fighting on short notice to fill in. That's why a lot of them miss weight is because they're short notice fights. I don't think it'd be responsible to take 90% of fighter pay because these guys aren't getting paid a lot already. I don't know how a lot of these guys go home. Fighter pay is a big thing, and we're talking about stripping 90% for missing weight. Come on. Come on. This just seems ridiculous to me. And I feel like it'd be super unaffe- an unaffective way to an unaffective way to enforce this weight cut. What I think should be done is I think I don't care about the money. I think thirty percent's fine, twenty percent, whatever. Take money if you want, don't take money if you want, whatever. I think the best way to go about this would be if someone misses weight and then wins, the fight goes down as a no contest. And if they lose, they still get the loss, and the person that made weight and won still gets the win, right? So this would lean to give fighters an advantage that made the weight versus fighters who missed the weight don't get that win on their record. I think this would influence people a lot in terms of making weight because the whole point, you know, is he cited a competitive advantage by missing weight, which is correct. If you come in five pounds heavier and you didn't cut and you didn't try to cut the last five pounds, you've got a great advantage. That's why there's weight classes for a reason. So uh, and then like, don't you if you don't get a win in that win column, it takes the whole point away of fighting for the guy who misses weight. So with that being said, I feel like this still gives the advantage to the fighter that makes weight, and then the fighter that misses weight, it gets punished, gets punished greatly, and I feel like this would be uh, the most effective way, I, I say that, the most effective way to enforce this rule without having to empty, without having to completely empty the fighter's pockets. We don't need to empty fighter pockets because they miss weight. Okay. And another thing that piqued my interest was Suhudo called out Alex Volkanovsky. He didn't call out Volkanovski by name. He called out the Kiwis, which is an obvious shot at Volkanovski. And I think this 145 division is looking really fun, but I don't like the idea of inserting Cejudo at the top. Are you kidding me? Cejudo at the top? Because looking, it's, I don't like the idea of Cejudo grabbing the belt and then retiring, okay? I think that would make 145 a mess, and we'd have... A lot of we'd have to have a lot of deep discussion about who would be the two to replace them, to replace and fight for the belt. Okay. I feel like right now, if Cejudo really wants that 145 pound belt, he only wants the one. He only wants this 145 pound belt 
because Volkanovski has it, right? He wants the 145-pound belt to increase his legacy. I think he he believes he has the best chance at beating Volkanovski over all these other um, 145-pounders, okay? Because with Volkanovski's size, he's obviously shorter than everyone he's fought. He might be one of those. He's one of the shorter guys in the division, short and stocky. So this height matchup and reach would be very similar to Volkanovski and uh, Cejudo. And that would, and because like, say Zabit gets the belt, say Max Holloway gets the belt back. These guys are bigger with longer reach. And this would provide great issues for um, Cejudo. Those are bad matchups. I think he's trying to strike now while someone with a good matchup is in there. I think if Cejudo really wants to fight at 145, I think he should enter the division and fight Max Holloway. I think man, that'd be a great fight for Max Holloway to get back on track while still fighting top guys because Max Holloway has to fight top guys, right? You can't give Max Holloway a, a bad opponent or, a, a you know. I think that's a great way to get Max Holloway involved after he got robbed in his last decision. And I don't I don't use that word robbed lightly. I try to use that word sparingly, but he did get robbed in his last decision. So, for my perspective, if Cejudo wants to be in the 145 division, come in, fight Holloway, prove you deserve to be in the 145 division, and then you can go fight Volkanovski, right? As of right now, for Volkanovski, what's next is... Ortega and Korean Zombie, they're fighting in three weeks, right? The winner of that fight deserves it fully. The only other wild card is Zabit. I know Zabit was going to try and fight Yair, but that fight got canceled due to injury. For uh, I believe Yair was the one who pulled out with an injury. And there were talks that Yair was going to go right up to fight Volkanovski, and, which would be fine, I guess. But if uh, Ortega and Korean Zombie do get finally get this fight off, which should be a great fight, I think the winner of that deserves that fight wholeheartedly. And then if Cejudo wants in, give him to Max. If not, give Max to uh, Zabit. Have a fun fight with that. And then both those guys can prove that they deserve their title shot. Or Zabit can possibly wait until Ortega and Korean Zombie are done. So, But I feel like uh, Max and Zabit would be a great fight in terms of Max getting back on pace but getting back on track. Because I shouldn't say getting back on track because he's on track, right? When you fight like that, you're on track. It's uh, getting back to the title. This would be a great fight for him to get back to the title. Him taking out a great fighter, right? So those are the main topics I wanted to talk about today. So I don't really have much left. Um, So let's talk about a little bit for the future of this podcast, okay? So in the future of this, my plan is to... Do one episode every Sunday doing fight breakdowns cards similar to what you saw today. And then I'm thinking about Thursday or Friday fight cards, right? I'm not 100% sure before fight cards. Break down what's coming up. Talk about some rumors that happen throughout the week. So I feel like I'm not going to do these Thursday or Friday podcasts every week. This is going to be before big fight cards. For example, Gaethje and Khabib. I'll, I'll I'll do a pre-fight podcast, right? But as far as every week, I feel like that would, I feel like there's not a lot to talk about every week, especially this week we've got Holm Aldana. But that should be a fun fight at the top. But um, following it, there isn't really a lot, so I don't really want to spend about an hour talking about Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana. Just be a waste of my time, a waste of your time listening. There's only so much things to talk about between Holm and Aldana. 
Um, I might do one if there's enough other news. You know, if some fights get announced, some other things happen, I'd be more than willing to do one. But if we're on a light news cycle, I'm not going to create another episode. That'd be just be silly. Be a waste of everybody's time. But uh, like I said, if there's enough to talk about, I'll do it and I'll talk about it, right? And uh, go ahead and follow the socials, right? We got this. Whether you're listening on Spotify or Anchor, this is what our the audio is available right now. Um, we're working on getting it on iTunes. I can't say for sure when or if we will be on iTunes anytime soon. We got some issues with that. We're trying to get ironed out. We got some hoops to jump through, so I'm not 100% sure yet. We're working on it. And this will be available on YouTube with the visuals along to go with the audio. So if you're on Spotify and you want to see me, you want to see me talk. If you're one of those, if you like listening to podcasts that way, I will be on YouTube. And uh, you want to reach out to me, you want to talk to me, you want to uh, you want to see some updates or whatever, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're going to have those socials as well. Those are all the Head Kick, or Head Kick KO podcasts with the same profile picture. So it should be relatively easy, easy to find. And um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to post on each social media account yet. I might. I feel like TikTok would do some great way, be great to uh, way to answer some questions, talk about things, you know, without really as much of a setup. You know, it wouldn't be. I wouldn't be sitting here at the desk. I'd just be holding my phone. You know, more personable. And then on Instagram, just fight updates. You know, things I find exciting. You know. On Twitter, I'd probably do short updates, like uh, I'll probably put out a tweet before this podcast goes live, and uh, things like that, things of that nature. So, probably do some, might might do some so, some responses, some make some jokes on Twitter, so that could be a worthy follow. So, if you're listening to this now, go follow the other socials, and uh, be on the lookout for the next episode. I can guarantee you there will be one on Sunday. Guaranteed. Okay? All right. So thank you for watching the very first episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. I hope you enjoyed and be with us again. Thank you.